0: You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray that as we speak of great and marvelous things, that we would be able to understand them and respond to them uh, in a way that is honoring to you. As your church gathers to celebrate This morning, uh, and remember your birth, but also to long for your return, I pray that that would be our hearts, that we would understand peace as you have given it, Uh, that you would help me to be clear in talking about these things, that we would uh, hear from you, or that you would help me to get out of the way, because I am like Paul. I am the foremost sinner in this room, and so I need your grace and mercy, but I want you to show the fact that Jesus' is perfect peace and his mercy is here for us and that you would just, just, so you just help me to do that, Lord, by your spirit and for the, for the sake of your son's reputation in his church, I pray it, amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. <clears throat> all right, I don't have no football stories from yesterday because all we had was Army-Navy, which was great if you're an Army fan. If you're a Marine or a Navy guy, you're, you're mad, but that's all right, we don't have a lot of y'all here. Um, sometimes we like to ask questions that we don't really want answers to, Right? You know, we, we, we're asking for a point, not because we want the answer, because we're trying to make a point. So, and we do it all the time. So, you know, you, some of you are like, hey, how about them dogs? Okay. And, and what you're saying is what? Did you see Georgia yesterday? They won. Right? So, that's why you're asking a question. As parents, we do this all the time. Right? We say, what were you thinking? And we don't want them to answer, because then we'll just hit them. That's right, that's right. No, and they start to, I, was think, no, I don't want to hear from you. You just asked me a question. What was I thinking? Right? Like, well, the, the famous old, well, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you too? And then the kid always, yeah, well, yeah. I, no, I, that's not, we don't want to answer that. It's, a, it's not wanting an answer. Who's making all this noise? Are you deaf? How many times do I have to tell you? All questions making a point. We do this as couples. How much money did you spend? Don't answer. I don't know. Or the ever-famous, the ever, for me, are you still awake? <laughs> yeah, if all the single people are like, well, I don't get that. Oh, you will. <laughs> Two in the morning, you still awake? No, I'm not. <laughs> questions not wanting an answer, but questions that are, that are making a point, right? Trying to make a point. We've been, this is our second week in a new series. We've called it Rejoice. Uh, something new for us, if you're new to us as a church, what we typically do, you know, 48 weeks a year for the most part, is we work through books of the Bible. So this year we've worked through Daniel, this year we've worked through Luke. But at this Advent season this year, we are taking kind of the fam- some of the famous carols that we sing and just kind of talking about the, the truth that they, they represent, the truth that they mean and why we're singing them. Uh, and so we looked at last week, the first week of Advent, we talked about hope. And so we looked at a song about hope called Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Um, today we're going to look at a song that is going to ask us a question, but it doesn't want the answer. Actually, it gives us the answer. So the point of the question is to point you to the answer, which it tells you. So you can't miss the point. And, and, and look, this is an important series for us, not just so we can get all Christmassy. And I, we told you, told you last week, Christians are a singing people. We're supposed to be. And the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to what? Sing loudly for all to hear, in the words of the theologian Buddy the Elf. And that is, there's some truth to that. And we talked about why last week. There is some, some vertical reasons why we sing, our relationship with God. We're commanded to sing. It's a sign of those who are filled with the Spirit. It's a way in which we are res- respond with thankfulness to God. Right? There's important reasons why we sing vertically. It also, a big one is it it affects the mind and the heart together. It kind of connects them, and it's a way for you to express emotion and heart. I mean, how could you not, on that last verse, get kind of like, yes, right, that we just sang? That's the point of music. That's why God created music. He, He invented the crescendo. He invented minor keys. It was his idea. And, and so, so we, uh, we want to gauge our mind and our heart, and we want to show our affection, and music is a powerful way to do it. And it's, and it's a way we, we, we build our relations with God. But it's also, there's horizontal reasons we talked about last week, too, because the person in front of you may need to hear that timeless truth because they may be struggling, and there are many of you who are. And so when they're reminded of God's faithfulness, of his victory, of his love, you are, you are building each other up. It's a way to be united And this is our God. This is the truth that we sing, right? It's huge. And we want to be, y'all, a singing church. I've been to churches. There's music. There ain't no singing. I I hear the, you know, the guys on stage. It's a performance. You know, we want to do excellence, but we want you singing. We want to engage. And we want to engage the mind and the heart. Right? We want to know the truth that we're singing, but it's not just enough to know it, we want to respond. And so we put a big emphasis on singing, and so we're doing this, and we're talking about it. So we're talking about peace today, and we're going to look at a song that talks about peace. The angel announced to the shepherds, what? Glory to God on the highest and peace on earth. And we think about peace often as the absence of conflict, Right? That's kind of what we think about when we think, what's peace? Peace is the absence of conflict. And there there is some truth to that. That is part of the deal. But biblically, the Old Testament word shalom, the New Testament word erene, it's more than just a negative aspect. There's a positive side of completeness or wholeness, of wellness, of harmony. All these words, It's, it's just a deep, kind of rich word. It's all those things. So for us as Christians, it has to do with we have peace with God. Yes, there's no conflict with God now. But there's also an experiential just rest and wholeness and harmony, right, because of, because of that, that vertical relationship. So we're going to look at this song. It points us to peace. And the way it's going to get us there, it's going to ask us a question. And the question is, what child is this? What child is this? All right? What child is this? Great, great old song written by a man named William Chatterton Dix. Great first name, best first name, maybe next to Jesus, William, um, right? Just a solid dude. <laughs> Come on, Bill, you got to support me in this one, right? Okay. All right, he was a, a, a good Brit, was a uh, insurance salesman, a business guy, wasn't a pastor, uh, but his real passion was poetry, And the story goes that when he was 29 years old, he has a sickness that leads almost to death. He is bedridden. The doctors give him no hope of life. And so as he's on his, you know, kind of deathbed, he goes through a a deep depression, but he starts to recover. And 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 while recovering, or maybe we don't know the exact time, he has a spiritual revival. We would say he got he got saved, he became a Christian. And he started writing hymns and poetry on his long recovery. And one of those poems that he wrote was called The Manger Throne. It's about a five-stanza poem, right? The Manger Throne. And that poem became kind of the somebody came after him, we don't even know who, and took some of the words out of his poem and wrote this great song. What child is this? But the problem is they didn't have any music for it yet because Dix was not a, a musician. He was just a poet. And so another guy, we don't even know who, took a very famous ballad that had been around from the, the 1500s, a song called Greensleeves, right? You can Google it. I Googled all this, this this week, and so this is all my history studying. But a song named Gr- called Green Sleeves." the first published uh, sample of this is from like 1580s in Shakespeare from his Merry Men of Windsor or something like that, right? So it's a much older tune than song. And here's the scandalous part about it, y'all. This song was like a song that was like used in dance halls and in bars for drinking. And it was used, uh, it was a sketchy love song, right? I mean, the, the Greensleeves was like the REO Speedwagon of the 16th century or the, or the Journey, Right? It was like used for love songs, for dance songs, for whatever else. And so you can imagine in the, 19, in the 1800s, the 19th century, you had a bunch of uh, Christians and they take this, this song that's like a, a pagan song and they put Christian lyrics to it. Scandalous, right? It, I mean, and I know, and that's the tune we have to this day, by the way. We'll sing it in a little bit. The child, It sounds very medieval, right? But, and you might think that sounds kind of old school. It was Metallica in the 1800s, okay? So just so you know, they were like, oh my. I mean, it'd be like taking the lyrics of Holy, Holy, Holy and putting it to, you know, American Pie or the, the Macarena or something. I don't know, you know. Uh, that's what they did, and, and that's how we got our song, right? So it's kind of fun thinking about the worship wars of the last hundred years, um, but that's how it happened. But let's look at this what child question, and we'll see the point of it, right? Um, first, first verse. What child is this laid to rest? Oh, I got it up there. On Mary's lap is sleeping, whose angels greet with anthem, anthem sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping. And then the, the refrain, this, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. So it starts off with two questions, actually. What child is this, and whom, whom is this? And really, they're asking the same thing. Who is this? And it's not because he doesn't know the answer, right? He's making a point. And the point is there's this great disparity. Because we know this, this is Christ the king, there's this great disparity. On the one hand, you have what you expect. Well, if, if, if this is Christ the king, if this is the Messiah, you expect angels, right? And that's, that's kind of an It's exp- a given, but here's the, th- here's the problem. In, in the church, we have a, a warped view of angels, whether it's because of touched by an angel or whatever. because this is kind of our view of angels, right? I mean, I, I don't know who that is. It's like Mary Poppins' sister. Okay. Every time angels show up in the Bible, people are terrified. No one is scared of her. Uh, some, this is some famous painting from the 1800s. I don't even know. It's awful should have got an F on this painting for, for biblical accuracy. I mean, these guys are wimps. I wouldn't want them anywhere, right? If you're scared of that. This is, remember, angels are heavenly warriors. They're warriors. They, they defend us. They fight this demonic battle. They are terrifying to look at. So this is probably, I don't have a picture of an angel, but this is probably more accurate. All right? That's probably a more accurate. Than, I'll be scared of that guy in the middle of the night. Okay? He's a little bald, but that's all right. But uh, that's more accurate. So when these angels show up, now you know why people are terrified. All right? Now you know. And you expect that at the birth of Messiah. What you don't expect is shepherds. You don't expect shepherds. Because these guys are the low guys. These are the low guys in the totem pole. I mean, they're not as bad as tax collectors or Pharisees in these people's minds. But they are, they're kind of outsiders. These are country folk. They were not considered reliable in court in that day. You never knew where they were going to be. That's why. It's kind of like the crazy uncle. He just shows up in the middle of something. They were just out in the, you know, they're always out there and they just kind of show up. And then they go back out there. They just kind of did their own thing. So this is a low class people right? N- nobody really cares about the shepherds. No one respects the shepherds. I mean, Charlie Brown Christmas doesn't even respect them. No, you know, oh, every year I'm a shepherd, right? You, when your kid gets to be the shepherd in the, in the, in the play, you're like, man, we must have stunk. I mean, we were going for Mary or Joseph here, and you got the shepherds. That's like low end on the totem pole. That's the point. They're nobodies. So you have this great, what child is this, where you get angels, yes, And shepherds, it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. I mean, angels and dignitaries, angels and the priests and these scribes who've been waiting for Messiah, maybe angels in the royal family. I mean, if shepherds have to be there, they should be way in the back, I guess. But, I mean, who? that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit. Or does it? Or does it fit that a shepherd would be front and center? Considering that this, this Christ, the king, as we're going to see, he says he would come as what? The good shepherd. That he would be the son of David, who was what? A shepherd. And one of the lesser known facts is that those sheep that were taken care of outside of Bethlehem, Traditionally, we the sheep that were slaughtered during the Passover. So maybe the shepherds do fit after all, because that is the type of Christ, that is the type of king that we worship. And, and just let me, can I get one pet peeve off my back, just, all right, just Christmas pet peeve for you Facebook addicts, all right, all right. So the word Christ, we know, if you've been here for a while, Christ is not a last name, It is a title, Christos, it means Messiah, and sometimes I'll see a well-meaning somebody on Facebook, Christmas is under attack again. Walmart didn't put Christmas, they put Xmas. right? Can Can I just show you something real quick just so you can be educated Christians on Facebook, please? Okay, this is the word for Christ, Christos. See that X? It's because it's the first letter of the word Christ. And so what they did hundreds of years ago is to actually honor Christ as they put an Xmas because they wanted to actually honor him. So Xmas is actually more Christian than Christmas. So if, please don't like forward that. Yeah, Walmart's anti-Jesus. They X'd out Christ. Actually, that's the symbol for Christ for the early church. It's a key. Alright? Just be educated on Facebook, please, so I don't have to apologize for our church. All right. <laughs> Pet peeve, sorry. This is Christ the king. Soldiers should be that angel. He is a Messiah whom shepherds guard. Doesn't fit. Should be soldiers. Should be that angel. But they're shepherds with their staff. And so here's the, here's the encouragement. Haste. Haste. They get that from the shepherd narrative where it says the angels went with what? With haste to Bethlehem to see what the angels at And bring him law. That's an old word for praise. Bring him Praise. This babe, the son of Mary. Verse 2 is my favorite verse. It's the lesser sung verse, but you got to see this, y'all. It's so good. They asked a question, another question. If he is the king, if he is the Messiah, then why does he lie in such mean a state? I mean, if this is the Christ the king, why is he where ox and ass are feeding? I just cussed in church. Ooh, bad. <laughs> Some of you were already thinking, that you, I know you were. oh <laughs> All right. Where ox and donkey doesn't fit. All right. So we go with the original here. We're literalists. I don't know what Ethan's going to do later. I hope he did, but anyway. But why is the king lying in a mean estate? Why? It's so harsh? Remember, remember the narrative where the, where the angels tell the shepherds how they would identify the Messiah. He would be wrapped in strips of cloth and he would be lying in a manger. Strips of cloth, that's not unusual. That's the onesie of its day. But in a manger, and again, a lot have been said, oh, the manger, it's like slobber, horse slobber all over. It doesn't say anything about horse slobber. I doubt Mary, I mean, she's young and inexperienced. I doubt she's like, yeah, let's put the kid in the slobber. The point was not the nastiness of the manger. The point is the humility of it. The only place to put this newborn child, the only dry place, the only moderately comfortable place, is where animals feed. It's the humility of it. Right? That's the point. That's, that's, the, the king came to this level of poverty is shocking, that's the mean estate. Y'all, it would have been amazing enough if God, for God just to become a man in, in itself, period, for God to step down from being God and become a man. That would have been amazing enough if he just came and he lived in the palace and he was born of royalty and, and lived this life of, of you know, luxury. That still would have been a ginormous leap down. But for him to come to this level of poverty, to two people, I mean, you know, this little 14, 15-year-old girl and her, and her husband broke as a joke. They can't even go back to Nazareth. They, you know, they stay in Bethlehem for a couple years. They don't go back to the hometown. Why do you think that is? Probably because there was such a, a stigma because no one believed Mary or Joseph. So they have to, they get rejected by their own families. They're going to have to run down to Egypt and their lives are in danger. I mean, that is the level of just humility that the king comes to, and he's asking, why? Why does he do that? Right? Here is the king of the world, the maker of the universe, lying in a trough. And so he addresses the audience. He says, good Christian, fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Even though he's a baby and can't speak, the word it's a reference to in the beginning was the word, the word was without, the word was God, is, is pleading. He, he's there for a point, right? He is there for a point. He's there to work on behalf of sinners, right? And so, and this is, a, this is a beautiful poem, beautiful writing. He takes you from this, like, quiet, humble, stable, where it seems nice and serene and peaceful, and he jumps to a harsh scene. Very quick. And he says, nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me for you. See, see this great picture. Why does he lie in such mean a state? Why is he there? And he jumps to why. 33 years later, he goes from the lowliness of the manger to an even lower state, being condemned as a criminal, criminal being nailed to a cross. That is Why? That's why he's there. It's the ultimate lowness. This is what Paul says in Colossians. He says, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And through him to do what? To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, there's our word, by the blood of his cross. And you and us who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy, blameless, above reproach. I know that nails and spears are not very Christmassy. Unless you're like a seven-year-old boy, like, Dad, get me a spear. Yes. And a BB gun. Right? But understand this. It's the nails and the spear that bring power to the season. The, the, The songs and the Christmas and the tree... All great, but it is hollow if y'all, if we do not see the link from Bethlehem to Golgotha. And if we don't see that, then we miss it. It's his life for you. His death for you. His resurrection for you. Right? He is the one who, who was called the bread of life, and yet he becomes Hungry for you. He is the one who offers the water of life, and yet at the end he was thirsty. He's the one who became weary so that he could be our rest. He's the one who was sold for 30 pieces of silver so that he could redeem us. He's the one, lamb that was led to the slaughter so that he could be the good shepherd. He is the one who died. So that by his death, he could destroy death. That is why he lies in such mean a state. And so what do we do? We hail the word made flesh. And beginning was the word, the word was with God. And it's it's a great reminder that the word had to become flesh. For Jesus to die for man, he had to become a man. But for Jesus to die and be sufficient for all men, he had to be God too. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. It is the mystery and the beauty of the incarnation. And he says, hail him, the babe, the son of Mary, because he brought peace. And then he moves to verse 3, which is kind of the response. He's asked his questions. He's done with his questions. He's made his point, And he says... So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh, right? Those are the gift of the Magi. We know those. We, we, we've got the nativity from Cracker Barrel on our front lawn, right? It's probably very biblically inaccurate because the Magi weren't there that night, but that's all right. If you want to make it more accurate, put the Magi in your neighbor's yard because <laughs> they show up two years later. Actually, your neighbor's too close. Send it up the street. Some guy just wakes up. There's a couple kings in our front yard. I don't know. That's more biblically accurate, sorry. But it's okay. You're, you know, Cracker Barrel, we love Cracker Barrel, whatever. But they bring, as they, it says, they worshipped him and they offered him gifts and they gave him gold and they gave him frankincense and they gave him myrrh. Weird gifts for a two-year-old, but they're actually very symbolic of the roles he would fill. I was talking to my kids on the car on the way here. I said, what, what is, who would get, it? Who would get gold? My, old, my, not my oldest, my oldest, my thirdborn said, a king. I said, that's right. A king gets gold. Jesus is a king. What about frankincense? Frankincense is this little substance that they would use in, in the temple for worship of an incense. It had a sweet smell. It was used in, in sacrifice. It is used in worship. It pictures the deity of Jesus. And myrrh, that's a really weird one because that's used in embalming dead people so that they don't smell. How, and I, asked, I said, how, how would that picture Jesus, well, his picture is his death and his burial, right? Even when he's two, these gifts picturing the finished work of Jesus, who he was, king, God, substitute for us. And so he says, hey, worship him. Worship him. Come peasant king to own him. Now, here's where the Britishness misses us as Americans. Any Brits in here? We got any guys from the U.K.? Right? None. So you guys, you miss it too. I miss it. I've always said, come peasant king. Calling Jesus a peasant king. That's not what it's about, actually. All right? See, and, and remember, he's English. the highest person in God. Save the queen the king, right? That's the highest person in their country. And the lowest is the peasant. So what he is saying is, come peasant or come king. We might say, uh, come president, come beggar. I don't, you know, I don't know. But the point is not... Come peasant king is Jesus. It's come peasant or come king. It doesn't matter your status, whether you're the most important, whether you're the least important, the rich or the poor, the powerful or the weak, the popular, the unpopular. He says, leave your status behind and come to him. Come to own him. The idea is embrace him, to believe in him, right? Right? Both the manger and the cross are for king, whoever, beggar. Your status means junk. It don't mean nothing. It ain't going to have any stance there. You come in one way. You come through faith alone to this king. He is the king of kings who brings salvation. Right? Let loving hearts enthrone him. And this is a beautiful depiction of what I think it means to exercise saving faith in Jesus that he is your king. He's not just savior, he is savior. He is savior and he is king of your throne, of your heart. He not only rescues you from your sin, he now leads you in your life. So let loving hearts enthrone them. It's an invitation. Whether you're the big man on campus, whether you own the biggest company in town, if you're just a middle school student. The song invites you to worship this king. It's a beautiful picture. And so it closes with the final refrain. And this is great. This is what I've been saying. This is what this series is about. It's raise, raise the song on high. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is what? That was weak. Sing loudly for all to hear. But that's what he's saying 200 years ago. He's saying sing it, shout it on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Again, this oxymoron. Virgin with a baby. But it's a beautiful picture of what Christ has done. The miracle. Joy, joy. For Christ is born. The babe, the son of Mary. Right? He brought peace. Peace with him. And he offers us peace Where we're at. He is the rescuer. What child is this? Why lies he in such mean estate? He is the redeemer. He is the reconciler. He is the rescuer. He is the savior. He brought peace. Right? He brought peace. But it's not just peace, and Ethan alluded to this, it's not just peace with God that he brought, because that is, that is primary. He wanted us to have peace because we were at enmity, because we ran away, because we sinned, because we were, we're, were dead in our trespasses and sin. But it's not just that peace. He wants us to have peace here, too, horizontally in our experiences and in our circumstances. And there's so much written in the New Testament, even the Old Testament, about peace. I mean, before, the night before he dies, he tells the disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, I give to you. So there's a distinction there between the world's peace and his peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. A couple chapters later, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, take heart, I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. He says in another place, now let the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. So the idea we have peace with God, but it is possible to have peace here. And here's the key for us. This peace flows out of this peace and not vice versa. And this peace has nothing to do with the lack of conflict. What does Jesus warn? In this world, things will stink, an IV version. You will have trouble. Anybody got trouble? Liars. You're all liars. That's your trouble. Yes. Anyone not struggle with sin? Anyone not have any bitterness? Anyone having a hard time forgive? Anyone having a hard time love that person? Anyone worried about how to pay Christmas? Anyone got sickness in your family? I I can go down the line. You have trouble. And, And the peace that Jesus is offering is not freedom from trouble. That's the mistake we make in Christians. If you're faithful, God will make everything great. Well, really? Tell me about that, Paul, Peter, Thomas, James, right? Tell me about the first Christmas. Did, I mean, think about this. Did the coming of Jesus make Mary and Joseph's lives easier or harder? It was possibly harder. Fourteen-year-old girl, she is now accused of being a harlot. She never lives that down, by the way. They're talking about that 30 years later when Jesus is an adult. Joseph's got to leave his hometown with this woman, and now he is going to raise a child that is not his. He's got to find a new job in a new city that he's not from. And then, oh, by the way, just when you're getting established, just when the business is getting off its feet, just two years into the deal, now i got to run to Egypt because the kid's life's in danger? I don't know anybody in Egypt. And then I'm there for a couple of years, and then I got them all the way back. Their life got super difficult. The apostles, did Paul's life get easier or harder after his conversion? I mean, he was living a pretty good life. And after that, it's like, So the peace that God is offering is not peace from all that stuff. What it is is peace in all that stuff. It's it's peace in. In the circumstances. And I think Romans 5 hits this really well. We'll close this. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. This is peace with God because of our sin. Right? From the penalty of our sin. And said, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice. There's this peace. He goes on. He says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. How can you do that? How can you rejoice when things are hard? I mean, really. How can I be Paul and Silas singing in the jail? How can the disciples get beat and they walk away like, man, that was great. Praise God. How? Delightful that it makes only one way is if this relationship is so great and delightful that it makes all these things pale. And that's the point. He says, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Think about all the things he's offered. He offers hope. He offers endurance. He says, because God's love has been poured in our hearts, he offers his love. His Holy Spirit is in us. He offers his presence. That he walks through you through this chaos. Look, there's going to be chaos as long as you're around other people and you're in this life. And and God says, I I am walking in that midst. And I am a high priest who can sympathize with that because I was was here. I, I get it. And this is the whole point of Advent, y'all. This is why we even do this. The first Advent, it wasn't for you to get your greatest most pressing need. It wasn't for you to pay off your student loans. It wasn't for you to get a job. It wasn't for you to find a spouse. It wasn't for that chronic pain to go away. That sickness pain sickness to go away. It wasn't for you to start getting along with your family. It wasn't for that guy to stop slandering your name. That was not your greatest need. Your greatest need is that you were lost and you were perishing without him, so he sent a savior who is Christ the Lord. That That's the first advent. At the second advent, the student loans are gone. At the second advent, the cancer is gone. The second advent, the conflict with your relationships and the stress of your life and all these things are gone. See, that's why we look back so that we can look forward because we're What Advent reminds us is that we're short timers. You ever, you ever been a short timer in a job you put in your two weeks and you're like, this is great. Remember seniors, any high school seniors here? Raise your hand high school seniors. You're about to enter the period called senioritis. After you got into that first college, I got into my first college in mid-September. The Citadel was so desperate back then they were taking anybody from out of state that wasn't from Orangeburg. So I got in like September 15th, I'm like done. We started school September 8th. I mean, I was like, I'm over. I got in. And then I got into another school. I'm like, this is a miracle. I got four schools accepting me, desiring my money. And so the rest of the year, you know you're a short timer. And you know it doesn't matter. This physics means nothing. Right? It probably did because I failed it in college. <laughs> I had to drop it before I failed it, actually. So. But... But that's, that's the scripture's teaching. We're short timers. Short timers. Because we have peace with God, we will have eternal peace with him in his presence. Escaping not just the penalty of our sin, that's what he's done, but escaping the very presence of our sin. Escaping the very power of our sin for all eternity. And what this song reminds us is it all took place Because he was lying in mean estate, because nails and spears would pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Can you hail that kind of a king? Can you raise that song, church? I can, right? This is the one who was born humbly, who died horrifically, who was raised triumphantly, and he will return gloriously. This is Christ our King. Let me close. Let me read, just a, I just, as I was reading through this manger throne poem that Dix wrote, let me just read the last three stanzas to you, and then we will raise that song, y'all, and you better raise it, I'm telling you. Uh, let me just read the words. It's a great poem. He says, now a new power has come, to earth, come on the earth, a match for the armies of hell. A child is born who shall conquer the foe and all the spirits of wickedness quell. For Mary's son is the mighty one whom the prophets of God foretell. The stars of heaven still shine at first. They gleamed on this wonderful night. The bells of the city of God peal out and the angel's song still rings in the height. and And love still turns where the Godhead burns, hidden flesh from fleshly sight." Faith sees no longer the stable floor, the pavement of sapphire is there. The clear light of heaven streams out to the world, and the angels of God are crowding the air. And heaven and Earth, through the spotless birth, are at peace on this night. so fair. Let's Ray come peasant. King, let's raise this song to the King of Kings who salvation brings, the babe, the Son of Mary. Would you stand with me let me pray, and we'll sing and we'll worship. Father, I thank you for revealing through Scripture and through just many who have gone ahead of us the great truths of this season. We have peace with you through Jesus Christ, because his nails Hands were nailed to a cross because his side was pierced, because he was wounded and crushed on our behalf. And so I pray as a church that we would that I just would, would stir our affections in our heart to worship and to follow this king, that he would not just be a king who forgives us of sin, but he'd be a king who leads us in our life. And for someone here who may not even understand or know all this, that you would be just opening their eyes to the gospel, the good news that a savior who is Christ the Lord, took their place on a cross and rose again. Lord, use us for that message this season and in our hearts. Uh, just, just make it, make us more like your son. It's in his name we pray.